Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Uh, session 19 is, the general theme is the primacy of the word of the Lord, and the sub-theme, if you would, the particular emphasis in this theme that we are exploring is hearing with your spirit, okay? And I don't want to labor the point because I've done a few rehearsals of the kernel of our focus in this theme, which is essentially to hear with your spirit, okay? And for the Word of God to have maximum effect, the Word needs to be encoded and received on the platform of one spirit. Your spirit has a mind, will, and emotions. The Enlightenment the word which is light, and the word illumines one's spirit. And we have, we, we've laid out all the verses for this. The word illumines one's spirit and should cast light upon one's soul. Right? And so by the light of the word in your spirit, you should walk in light. The mind of your soul, the will of your soul, and the emotion of your soul should be informed by the revelation, the light of the word in your spirit. And so in your flesh, in your body, you should walk obediently and live out that which you heard in your spirit. In other words, your soul should follow your spirit blindly. There should be no rebellion from your soul domain whenever you receive spiritual words on the platform of your spirit. We discussed the spiritual man. We discussed the natural man. And now we're basically essentially talking about the carnal man and how that carnality, in other words, the Sarkikos is the Greek for carnal. The carnal man is given over to base needs, fleshly needs. He heals to the dictates of his flesh. Carnal man is preoccupied with protection, provision, and seeks pleasure. Okay? And he's totally cut off from the voice of the Lord. Right? The spiritual man is thoroughly dependent on the Holy Spirit to ignite his spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, so he who is joined to the Lord is one, everyone say one spirit. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The flesh pulls you away from that domain, okay? The flesh is wanting you to satisfy its, the, 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 the base needs of fleshly appetite, right? Of fallen, unregenerate man. It's a struggle that every son of God has to contend with. You have three enemies, basically. It's the devil, it's the world, and it's the flesh. Okay? Dr. Segi has done an excellent teaching on this. Right? The devil, the world, and its system, and your flesh. Your flesh pulls you to heal obediently to things that displease God. Okay? To things that displease God. The impact... Of that is upon the soul. Now, please, I know this is, might be a rehearsal for many of you, but I need to say it over and over again. Why are we focusing upon overcoming our carnality? Simply because of the effect that it has upon the soul. Uh, the classic example is Lot. 
So Lot positions himself toward Sodom. And remember two things. How is the soul of Lot vexed? The word vexed, tormented. By what he saw and heard. So perhaps he did not take off Sodom's lawless deeds, but the Bible says his soul was tormented simply by exposure to it. Right? You might not sometimes participate in lawlessness or carnality, but even the simple exposure to it can affect the state of one's soul. And I, I, I laid out in session 19, the effect of carnality is basically it causes leanness to the soul, right? A wasting away. The word leanness is to pulverize, is to make skimpy. And so the soul becomes, it loses strength. It loses muscular strength, as it were. Um, if you think of it like this, the soul becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. You involved in fleshly dictates, so Lot, his, his soul becomes vest vexed by what he saw and heard, the effect of that on the soul is to make it lean. And I see it in this sense. It becomes disempowered to then follow the leading of the Spirit. So Galatians 6 says it like this. The Spirit. Now you must remember, the Spirit works with my Spirit. The Spirit fights against the flesh. And the flesh fights against the Spirit. Who's caught in the middle? Your soul. The flesh is fighting for dominance over the soul, but the spirit too wants dominance over the soul. So Galatians says, if you sow to the spirit, you will of the spirit reap zoe life. Everyone say zoe life. The God quality of life, the God kind of life. But if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. So the state of your soul is very important. Our next session, I'm going to deal with the prosperity of the soul. I will show you how even it's becoming more clearer and clearer to me. Every expression of prosperity, both on material, intellectual, relational, um, spiritual, every aspect of prosperity is linked to the state of your soul. Right? So I wish that you prosper and be in good health, even as your Soul, if you can get the soul to a place of total renewal, the impact is going to be prosperity at every level. Amen? Now you should be excited about that. Right? Not just material prosperity. And I'll demonstrate to you from the scriptures how this, how this is true. Amen? So this, the flesh lusted against the spirit. The spirit lusted or fights against the, the flesh so that you do not do the things that you want to. Paul in Galatians says, okay? So, listen carefully. In, let's just quickly skim through your notes. We discussed, for example, on page 2, you got how carnality causes the leanness of the soul, page 2 and 3. And then on page 5, I spoke to you about, and really on page 5 is one key to overcoming carnality. Um, the Carnal company incites fleshly behavior. So you must be careful about the kind of company that you keep. And remember here we discussed the issue of the mixed multitude, also called the rabble. So I, I, I hope you dealt with your rabble, or maybe your rubble. Right? 
fleshly associations that incite greedy desires like they did in Israel. It was in fact the rabble in Psalm 106, really it describes it, that caused Israel to lust exceedingly in the wilderness and that caused leanness to their soul. So Paul is encouraged, uh, he encourages his son Timothy to flee youthful lusts, but to follow after um, uh, holiness, truth, etc. with those that call on the Lord from a pure heart. That's on page 5, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Uh, you must underline with those. With those. Who are the those? A specific quality of company that Paul is alluding to. With those that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And I realize this more and more is so critical in the season in which we are living to keep your company pure. Otherwise, you are going to be subtly influenced by their greedy, fleshly, lustful dictates. Okay? Then on, so uh, you can, pay, I didn't write this on page 5, but that's a key to overcoming carnality. We're dealing with keys to overcome carnality. One of the ways is watch your company. Have godly company. Okay? Then on page 6, another key we discussed at length last week is that grace, the reception of grace, will empower you to deny ungodliness, according to Titus 2. Right? The grace of God, it instructs us. The middle of your page on page 6. It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to do what? And to live sensibly righteously and godly in this present age. If you claim to be the recipient of grace, you should then demonstrate it by overcoming worldly desires and lust. Right? Grace instructs you to say no to ungodliness. Grace that does not deny you, or grace that doesn't instruct you or teach you to deny ungodliness is not grace at all. It's a false grace. Grace empowers you to say no to ungodliness. And then we spoke also about soundness of mind, soberness, self-control, and discipline. Then on page 7, we spoke at length, and there was the kernel, the main thrust of the study, I think, last time, was how do you walk in the Spirit? How do you walk in the Spirit? Um, because if you walk in the Spirit, you can overcome the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5 verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the, of the flesh. And basically we summed it up by saying, walking in the Spirit is nothing more than obeying the word of the Lord. Walking in the Spirit, also the phrase living in the Spirit, is not some spooky spiritual experience where you're going to have to talk in tongues though, 24 hours a day. Okay, yeah, I'm in the Spirit. No, walking in the Spirit is simply a term where a Christian normally, ordinarily in his life, simply lives a life of obedience to every command or principle of the Word of the Lord. Not so? So guess what? Do you know, if you come on time to work, you are walking in the Spirit? Because the Bible says, obey them that have the rule over you. So if you obey your boss by being punctual, guess what? You are a highly spiritual person that is walking in the Spirit. It's simply living life normally according to principles in the Word that God has laid out for us. Right? 
Obviously, the spirit I mentioned has, has a, a component to it uh, where the manifestation of the spirit will express himself in gifts, etc., that is a place. But generally, um, many people think the spooky, abstract experience. No, it's not. Right? It's normal. Do you know when you forgive an offender or you love your enemy? You are walking in the spirit. How does your soul get purified? You should know this verse of by heart by now. First Peter one twenty two. Remember? Please, first Peter one twenty two must become a bedrock scripture in this whole series for you. It's a key scripture for us. First Peter one twenty first Peter one twenty two. It says, seeing that you have oh, you have purified your souls. How? By obeying the truth. Everyone say obeying the truth. So how do you purify your soul? If the soul is in the middle of the battle between the Holy Spirit through our spirit and the fleshly component, how do I bring wholeness and purity to my soul? First Peter 1.22 simply says, Obey. So I, I see it like this. Every act of obedience is an opportunity for greater purification of my soul. Romans says it's like this, to wherever you obey, you become, you submit yourself as a servant to that thing that you obey. Right? Whether to sin that leads to death, or whether to obedience that leads to life. So, if, if sin is your master, you are the servant. And Romans says, if you obey sin, you, that sin becomes the master, you become the servant or the slave, that thing controls you. Remember it was uh, Cain who killed his brother, Esau. What did God say to him? Sin. Cain killed Abel. Sin is crouching at your door, waiting to pounce or to master you. Sin also always wants to master us. But the Lord said to Cain, but you must overcome it. You must master it. Right? So tell your neighbor, master sin. Sin mustn't master you. You must master sin. And let me just say this to you. You, if, you know, this is an aspect of maturity in sonship. We get this right. There's no telling what God's going to do in our midst. Right? It's going to open up vast possibilities. I was blessed just fleetingly tonight on TBN. Dr. Mark, uh, was it Chirona or something like that, had an interview with Apostle, I think it's Derek Brown. And I'm actually going to order the, the DVD they advertised. But they were talking these very things that we are speaking. And the possibilities of life in the spirit and the push towards immortality. I guarantee you, when soul is fully purified, fully mature, healing to your spirit, the body will have no option but to come into alignment. Right? To come into alignment. Okay? Dr. Sege right now is doing a brilliant, brilliant series on Zoe life. And speaking the very same things that we are, we are speaking here. Amen? And so there's this push to the God quality of life. How does transformation happen? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the... It's only when the mind, the mind of the soul is renewed, does change and transformation come. What is the battle of the apostolic, by the way? What's the focus? The venue? What is the arena? The mind. Right? 2 Corinthians 10 is, an, is, the, is the, 
is the sort of the, the blueprint for apostolic warfare. Paul says the weapons of our, our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Mental strongholds, right? Strongholds. Um, deposing what? Mentalities, imaginations that rise up against the knowledge of Christ. Okay? And I really believe in terms of um, what all the apostles to whom we relate today are speaking about, there's this perfection in this area that I believe is the final frontier in this kairos. But the sake is of the firm belief that this is the last installment of truth to be revealed and mastered in the present kairos. Not because in the next kairos there will be Another set of issues we have to deal with. But this is like the last thing we have to master to enter into, administrate other issues, other issues that God wants to release. So I really want to encourage the church. I want to encourage you. Deal with the flesh. It's the most potent, besides the devil, the world system, there's this third enemy, the flesh. Paul says, the good that I want to do, I cannot. The evil, I don't want to do, I find myself doing Okay, this has got to be overcome. And I'm telling you, don't you feel good when you've overcome this? Don't you feel empowered? Don't you feel like nothing is impossible to me? Right? Your, your sense of uh, hearing God, of being effective in God's purposes, will go to the next level, I guarantee you. Amen? And so we discussed, uh, sorry, grace, we were saying, as a... Something you need to overcome, carnality, walking in the spirit, which is basically obedience, not so, basically obedience. So we're on page nine, that's where we left off. What I want to talk about just briefly, I know this might seem like elementary thing to focus on, but I really feel it's helped me a lot personally. One way in which you can overcome the flesh and overcome your carnality is to pursue love. Everyone say, pursue love. Now, it's, you might not see the connection. Let me explain. I quoted First Peter 1.22 in your notes. Let's read it again. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, done what to your soul? Purified your soul. Now, circle the word for, which is next. The word for tells you what the ultimate final intent of the purification of the soul is for. So let me, let's back up again. How is your soul purified? Talk to me. Obedience to the truth. You obey the truth, the soul becomes purified. To do what? To love the brethren. Doesn't it say it? For a, the word sincere is authentic. Uh, not false. Seer, a sincere. A, a, a genuine some versions say genuine love, a sincere, genuine love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. I mean, just this one verse has got so much in it. Hmm? So, let me see your hands. How many of you would like a purified soul? Come on. Right? What is the purpose for that, according to this verse? It says, so that I can love the brethren in two ways. It says, Sincerely and fervently. In other words, there'll be a fervency, a zealousness, 
a fervor and intensity of quality to the love that I have. Okay? Just ask your, ask your neighbor, how's your love for the brothers going? It's just love for the brothers or love for the brethren. Two things that must be sincere and it must be fervent. You can only love from the platform of a purified soul. According to this verse. So how do we get, I know it sounds like a scratch record, but I want to scratch and scratch until I see this manifested. How is the soul purified? Obedience to the, to the truth. What biblically is the purpose for that? So that we can enter the domain of what? Love. Let me ask you this. Who is love? God is love. So love is a characteristic of the nature of God. Not so? Remember we said through precious promises we become partakers of the divine nature. Love is the height of everything God is. Right? So when I obey the truth, I purify my soul so I can enter into Godness. Enter into God character. The height of which is love. First Corinthians, now there is faith, hope, and love. But what is the greatest? Tell your neighbor the greatest of all spiritual virtues is love. You must catch this. The greatest of any God expression, any God nature, kind of nature. The, the quintessential, if you would. It's like bullseye, the target of God quality. Right? Quintessentially, God is love. It's the essence of all that He is. So when I obey the truth, I bring purity to my soul with the goal. Everyone say the goal. And I remember when I was preparing this, I remember this verse I learned. I was 19 years old when I learned this verse. I quoted it. I used to quote it often in our youth when we used to have Bible uh, scripture quoting sessions. The goal. Yes, it. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. The goal of our instruction is what? Is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now just the first part is important. Circle the word goal. The word instruction alludes to Bible teaching. So if I just take these two verses, the sum total of all my studying is what? That I will love. If I can perfect love, and I'll show you when we do the series on love, We'll do all like this just on divine love. I'll show you how that becomes the basis and the platform from which even destiny can be fulfilled. Effectiveness in your anointing flows from the love, divine love. All spiritual gifts, do you know what? Are only valid and authentic and authorized from the heavens if they flow from the basis of love. Okay? Do you know all giving is only legal and legitimate if it flows on the basis of love? Right? Do you know the Bible says you can give your body to be burned and you have not love? You are nothing. You can even engage in the right actions from the wrong platform and it's invalid. Hmm? And after Paul, when he speaks of spiritual gifts, he ends off, I mean, all the nine gifts of the Spirit he expounds so powerfully. But what does he say at the end? But I show you a more excellent way. Hmm? I want us all to pursue love as a goal. 
we often pursue spiritual gifts as a goal. Not so. I want to be using the prophetic. I want to be used in faith, used in miracles. Many people don't isolate love as the target. The end goal of all instruction is to love. Love becomes the platform for the movements of all of God's purposes. The expression of all giftedness has got to flow from the platform of love. Imagine Paul writing to Timothy. You, Timothy, you got this letter. My son, the goal of all my instruction to you, all those Bible studies, all those manuals, comes down to one thing in your life. Can I see in you that you love the brothers fervently and with sincerity? Hmm? You know, if this was attained in the global body of Christ, 99.9% of all the church problems are sorted out once and for all. Not so. Immediately, 2 Timothy 2.22, the first part says, Flee youthful passions, but pursue what? Righteousness, faith, and love is also mentioned there. Notice? So youthful passions is an expression of carnality. So how do I overcome carnality? I must flee youthful passions, but I must pursue, I must pursue love. Amen? I must pursue love. So I really believe, um, let's just read that paragraph after that. One of the things Timothy is encouraged to pursue after he flees youthful lust is love. Carnality hinders the maturation of div- true divine love. It's very important to understand. Fleshly behavior hinders perfection in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. The, the maturation of the God quality called love in me is going to be hindered. Listen carefully. If I pursue fleshly dictates, you might not see the link. You might say, um, what I'm doing privately in my world, in my dark corner where no one can see, doesn't impact the way I love the brethren. Because how is that link? I still love everyone, although I can get involved with that thing. Let me tell you, it's going to impact you. Right? Because your fleshly carnality brings leanness to your, leanness to your soul, And although love, we'll decode this further, is basically a quality of the spirit. But your soul is involved as well. And if there's any defilement in your soul, there will always be a a distortion of your expression of love. Always a distortion. For want of a better description. Okay? Now, remember, I said this to you, I think I made a fleeting reference to it one of the Sundays. The, the first fruit of the Spirit is what? What is the first? How many fruit of the Spirit are there? There are nine fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love. Love is the first fruit of the fruits of the Spirit. The principle of first fruit is the first fruit indicates the harvest to come. So if you develop in love, you have a good foundation to be strongly developed in every one of the other eight fruits of the Spirit to follow. When you give your first fruits financially, it's an, it, you give the first um, reward that you got for working or from your business, etc. The first indication is heaved up or given to the Lord. Similarly, and we know the principle, the first leavens the lump. The first leavens the, the rest. The, the, the first harvest is indicative of the quality of harvests to come. 
the first fruit of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay? And if you have love, you will then naturally develop into every other fruit of the Spirit. You will have joy, goodness, patience. How many people are impatient? You'll have long suffering with some brethren. But if you don't love them, you won't be patient with them. You will have goodness, etc. All the other eight will naturally follow. Here's an interesting verse in 2 Peter 2 verse 1. So 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. To 8. Grace. Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. That's a reference to the Word of the Lord. So that by them, in other words, by the Word, you become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Just stop there in verse 4. Look at that. You become a partaker through the Word of God. You partake of the divine nature. And by partaking of the divine nature to the Word, what does it do to you in your fight against fleshly lust? You escape the corruption, that, that the corruptibility that fleshly lust would have imposed upon you by your reading the word and assimilating divine nature, the height of which I believe is love. This then carries on, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge in your knowledge, self-control in your self-control, perseverance in your perseverance, godliness in your godliness, brotherly kindness in your brotherly kindness, Love. Yeah, love is different in the fruit of the Spirit is mentioned. First, in the list of these qualities, it's mentioned. Last. I like to put these two things together, these two passages. It's like love, when it's set in place, will be the foundation upon which certain realities and other fruit of the Spirit qualities of God will be formed in your life. But also, it will then be the foundation it will be, um, it will it'll always be the end result to which will always be matured at a far greater level. It's like a vicious cycle. The start and the end is love. And in between, it's like love is the alpha and the omega. And in between, you'll have the development of the fullness of every other God characteristic, hemmed in by love. All right? So be loving. Right? And please practice this. Practice this with the beggar that comes to your door. Practice this with your enemy. Who's got enemies? Oh, I'm the only one. <laughs> okay. You all got no enemies here. Gee, you must be the most peaceful, loving people ever. Bible says love your enemies. Right? Practice loving your enemies. Practice loving those that hate you and despitefully use you. Matthew says, okay? So let me just say, this is a key. So if, if you're struggling with an aspect of the flesh, this is one key. We discussed several. One of the keys is develop your pursuit in love. 
And you're going to find yourself developing fruit of the Spirit. And what you're doing, Galatians, you are sowing to the Spirit. You're not sowing to the flesh. Sowing to the Spirit, you're not sowing to the flesh. Thomas always said, if we have a weakness, it must be because we, we love too much. Okay? But now, love can be measured, eh? Let's go over the, the next page. Verse 8 of that passage says, if these qualities are yours, so all those qualities of which the PD ends in love, it says, if they are yours, you should circle the word, and increasing. They must be there, but they must be ever increasing. It's like, you never ever get to the place where you, your love is, uh, is not necessary to grow in it. You always grow in, in love. Okay? It's like faith. It can develop like grace. It can grow. Your love dimension in you can grow. Just think about that, brethren, right now. Um, would you say of yourself that you love? Anybody here? You're loving. You love people. We should all, we should all be like this. I don't, there's not one of us that can say, yeah, I'm hateful. I hate people. Right? We're not called to hate. We're called to love. All I'm saying to you, if love is there, it must be increasing. Right? You must study. Please, if you've got the time, read First and Second Thessalonians. Two chapters. The two books, sorry. And, and, and just study love in those two letters of Paul to this Thessalonian church. You'll see one of the things he mentions is their growth in love. He mentions love in the first epistle. And when he writes the second epistle, he's marvels, almost taken aback by the extent of their growth and development in the one thing called love. So, tell your neighbor, take your love to the next level. Take your love to the next level. Well, you know why? This is, this is so easy. This is like an easy key. We fight in carnality because I want the word in my spirit to be so predominant, it must lead my soul. I'm not going to give in to fleshly dictates. I'm going to pursue love. That This whole pursuit is going to help me in my soul dimension bow to the dictates of my spirit so the word of God can have ultimate effect in my life. It's such an easy key to do. Right? This is like an easy thing to do. Not so? And how do you do it? Please write this verse in. I forgot to put it here. Remember the verse? I think it's in... Uh, Romans chapter 5. It's either verse 5 or verse 8. It says, The love of God is what? Is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Remember last week we also said, If you do your part, God comes alongside you with His Spirit and He helps you. Remember the verse? I even read it in the meeting on, uh, on the prophetic meeting last week. Wednesday, Ezekiel 2 verse 1. Right? He said to me, Stand, O Son of Man, that I might speak with you. Right? And the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. The Spirit can set, come into you likewise, similarly, come into you and cause you to love at the God level of love. Right? At the God level of love. Let me remind you again, please. I know it's, this is sound laborious. But I'm, I don't want to go to other things if we haven't caught this properly. 
Remember the verse that says in 1 Thessalonians 5, I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, what? Blameless unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not so, remember that verse? 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. But don't forget verse 22 and verse 24. That promise, not a promise, it's a prayer of Paul's. Paul says, I pray that your spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless. But look at the preceding verse and the, the verse that follows. The preceding verse, verse 22 says, examine all things and hold on to that which is true. Right? I pray that your spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless. Then the next verse says, faithful is he. It will say, faithful is he. Faithful is he who promised who will also do it. Who will do the keeping your body, soul, spirit pure? He. But he, in his faithfulness, is only activated when you have done verse 22. Verse 22 says, examine all things and hold on to that which is true. Okay? The point is this. When you do your part, God steps in. To do his part. When you make up your mind, I'm going to love, I believe. Romans 5 says the Holy Spirit, you can love by the power of the Holy Spirit shed abroad in your heart. Because he, the Spirit, sheds the love of God abroad in my, in my heart. Amen. Recently I had occasion this past week to speak to certain people. Some of them I hadn't seen in a long period of time. And initially there's a strained tension. But you know what? These studies have helped me so much. I come into a room totally dead to myself. Right? I come into a room totally empowered in my spirit. And guess what? Love is undergirding everything. You come in a powerful position. And no carnality. And I know that every time we speak of carnality, some of you are only thinking fleshly sins. Remember the broad spectrum of carnality we discussed. It can be any failure in your humanity where you fail to do the will of the Lord. And sometimes you, you fail to express God's will in a particular context because of some negativity in your history. In a particular context, in relationship with people, etc. But guess what? When you have a mature spirit and a compliant soul, you're obedient and you, you, you obey the truth that purifies your soul, and now you're ready to love anybody. That's an empowering feeling. You know? Do you know how you disempower people like that? Because people expect you to behave and to react in a certain way. But you walk and all you do is you put the God nature on display. Right? And the purposes of the Lord are, are done. Now, um, look at the last... Lying in that paragraph. Love for God and love for your fellow man is a good position from which one may successfully maintain a life free from carnality. Now here's a brief reminder of the outworking of love. From 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 8. Please, when we read this, it says love is something, love is something, love is something. The thing 
that love is. Or love is not sometimes, it says. Love is, let's say for example, it says, love is not rude. Have you ever met some rude people? Rudeness is a weakness. It's a carnal expression. It says, love is not rude. So how must I overcome? Carnality, develop my love position. And just the forceful development of love causes me to overcome any carnal reaction to anybody. So when it says love is not jealous, etc., or love is kind, please see what love is in reference to it empowering you to overcome that area of carnality. For example, love is patient. Love is kind. Have you ever met some unkind people? <laughs> love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. I underline all these in my own notes. I made these are my notes here. Red lines under each one of those statements. Love is does not act inappropriately or unbecomingly. Right? Love does not seek its own. Love always looks out for the betterment of the group and others. Always thinking outside of yourself. Love is not selfish. Love is not provoked. This is one test. You know Mary and how they stoke you. They wanna re- they, they, someone says something about you to get you to react. They want to provoke you. So you get the provocation. But you're so full of love, you can't even have time to react in the flesh. Plus love is not provoked. Love is the most empowering feeling on the planet. Right? There's much more to this. I had to sort of compress the note, otherwise this session would have been far too long. And I chose rather to deal with other issues. We'll do love as a topic on its own. But I'm telling you, you perfect love. You're well on your way. It does not take into account the wrong suffered. How's that? The person did X, Y, Z to you. When you see the person, you don't even recall that the person done these things. Simply because of the overwhelming development of love. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Here is an, a nice test. Uh, unrighteous deeds are done even in the church and you get wind of it. And how is your first reaction? Love does not gloat and rejoice in unrighteousness. Does not rejoice, but only rejoices with the truth. I mean, this last few statement is like the, I think Paul wanted to say and list a whole lot of other things, but just had no time to. So he summar- summarizes, love bears all things. <laughs> he just says, it's like, uh, yeah, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things, love never fails. Isn't powerful, eh? So when I bear all things, I'm loving. When I believe all things, I'm loving. When I hope all things, I am. I am loving. Anyone who does all of these things, all of the above, is progressively bringing mastery and complete renewal to his soul and flesh. Okay? I like these terms, mastery and complete renewal to my soul and flesh. Young people here tonight, do yourself a favor. Develop in divine love. Save yourself a whole lot of uh, hassles as you develop in the Lord. Amen? So are we going to pursue love as a goal? Are we going to pursue love as a goal? That quick question, quick test. 
First Peter 1.22 says what? Right? Having obeyed the, having purified your soul through the obedience of the truth. Why? For, for what? For a sincere love for the brethren. See that you love one another fervently from the heart. Please, you must be able to quote this verse. I'm going to say it again to you so that I want to echo and re-echo sound and resound it in the landscape of your spirit. Having, oh, having purified our souls through the obedience of the truth for a sincere love for the brothers or the brethren, let us love one another with a fervent heart. Right? So I really want to encourage you to develop love. Next one, overcoming carnality. Give no place for the devil. This is a big one. Because the devil wants place in your life, right? So, uh, let's look at the scripture directly. John fourteen thirty. Jesus makes the statement and he says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. That's the world system. Not the earth, the world. Maybe you see the term the world as opposed to the earth. It's the world system. Because the earth belongs to the... The earth is the Lord's and the, the fullness thereof. I will not speak with you much more because the ruler of the world system is coming. And he has what in me? He has nothing in me. This is a powerful, powerful statement to be able to make in your life. Jesus made the statement. Imagine this. He says, Satan has got nothing in me. Nothing on me. Nothing in me. The Amplified frames it like this. I will not talk with you much more. The prince, the evil genius or ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me. In other words, I like this what it says in brackets. He has nothing in common with me. Please underline that because that is exactly what the Hebrew word has means. The word has in, in the Greek story is echo, which basically means exactly what the Amplified is saying. He has nothing in common with me. Jesus is saying when the enemy sees me, he doesn't even recognize anything of himself in me. There's nothing that is like him in me. He has nothing in me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him, and he has no power over me. You know what? You give the enemy power over you when you subscribe to his will, his nature, his characteristics. So Jesus would say to the Pharisees, you are just like your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, the lust of your father, you will do. He was a liar from the beginning, right? So if you are a liar and you're prone to lies, guess what you're manifesting? A devilish characteristic. So the next time you lie, think of this. What you're really saying is, the enemy has something in me that strikes a resemblance to him. And because it's akin to him, he has a platform in me from which to, to rule and dominate. Right? Jesus was saying, when the enemy sees me, there's nothing in me that he can see to which he's attracted to or that is akin and like him. Nothing at all. Right? Nothing in me. The message says it like this. Just the last part. Don't worry. He has nothing on me. No claim on me. The NIV, he, the last part, he has no hold on me. Uh, the word has is the Greek word echo, 
And even the word just in English, what is an echo? Okay, the sound that resounds. It, it is said over again. Hello, hello. hello the echo. So the Lord is saying, the enemy does no echo in me. Whatever he stands for doesn't reverberate, resound and resound or echo within me. Okay? So the word is to hold. Everyone say to hold. Right? He's got no hold in me. On the second line, towards the end of it, I just like that meaning. To have, and please underline it or circle it, to hold possession of the mind. Possession of the mind. You should circle or underline that, that whole statement, possession of the mind, and just put there thinking or mindsets or mentality. In other words, you know how the devil controls us most of the time? is in our thinking. If, if you have a thought process that is not God, but is akin to the enemy, then by that thought, he can have sway in your life. He can have influence in your life. Put a one above that, because there are two, not, two nuances, two uh, expressions of this word echo. The one is that to hold, it's like a, men, a mental stronghold. The devil got you because of your thinking, how you think. Simple example. If you think prosperity is not for the spiritual. Just a simple example. If you think to be poor is to be spiritual, but no spiritual person can be wealthy. You, if you think, for example, uh, to be wealthy and to be spiritual can't go. But if you equate poverty with spirituality, that's a thought process, that's a mindset, a mentality, a belief system that... You have, guess what? It's totally unbiblical. That's devilish to think like that. So what does the enemy do? He has got you locked. And you will never ever enter a particular benefit that God has for you spiritually because of the way you think. So the enemy has, Jesus said this, the prince of this world is coming, but there's literally nothing in my mind or in my person, in my body, the way I think, the way my belief system, by which he can have influence or control in my life. None at all. Okay? If you think, for example, Brother X dragged my name in the mud, told lies about me, misrepresented me. So now I have a legitimate standpoint to hate him. So I don't greet him. I don't... I even, in fact, retaliate by giving him the same medicine he gave me. I speak ill of him every occasion of a tea. Do you hear? Do you know what that brother did? That sister did, etc. What you're doing, you have a mindset, when the enemy sees you, there's something in you that's like him, by which you're operating by. Right? And guess what? When that happens, leanness to your soul. Carnal expressions give leanness to the soul. You're being pulverized, and your soul is shrinking, making it skimpy, disempowering it to follow the truth of the light of God's word that is bringing in and through your spirit. Do you understand how these things work? So it's a, it's a possession of the mind. And then put it, that's number one. And number two, at the last statement in the meaning there, to be closely joined to a person or thing. To be closely joined to a person or thing. Right? Now, 
immediately when you see the word closely joined, what scripture comes to your mind or should come? 1 Corinthians 6, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Right? Yeah. He who is joined to the, the first paragraph. He who is joined to the spirit is, is one, to the Lord is one spirit with him. So the Lord is saying here, the enemy, I'm not closely joined to him or his person, his principle, what he stands for at all. What he's saying, me and the enemy are like chalk and cheese. We're not bosom pals, nothing. There's nothing even closely alike in terms of me and him. Let's just read the paragraph there. Listen carefully. Now, if you're prone to fall in a particular area, do not place yourself in a position where you're going to have to deal with the temptation of that sin. Right? Do not position yourself towards Sodom as Lot did. Abstain from all the appearance of evil. I'll talk about more about that on Sunday. Do not give the devil legal grounds to attack you. What legal hold does the enemy have on you? Does he have something in you or on you that is preventing your breakthrough that the Word of God has designed for you? Right? Now, please repeat after me. Give no place to the devil. That verse is on the next page. The actual verse where Paul says, give him no topos. Give him no, give him no place. Greek word topos. I just put, uh, I like uh, Barnes' commentary for most scriptures. Please remember, commentary is a man's point of view. And when I read his commentary on this verse, I just like the way he frames it. Just the first verse, the first uh, sentence, we won't read the whole thing. I put it there for your own reading. He said, Jesus is essentially saying, there's nothing in me Underline, no principle or feeling that accords with his, the enemies. And nothing, therefore, by which he can prevail. Isn't that powerful? I like the way he, he frames it. Go to Ephesians 4, 26. Now, check out this verse. It says in verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. How many of you have an anger problem? Only Marcus is honest. Don't we all get angry at times? Eh? Some of you, because of the nature of your job, it just, right, the temperature rises. Right? Now, the Bible says anger in itself is not sinful, but you mustn't, it must not degenerate into sin. Right? You must learn how, to, learn how to manage it. So um, I've been many times in, in a place where I get angry, and I have to be careful of what words come out of my mouth and what kind of reactions. You are angry, but you do not sin. Tell your neighbor, don't sin when you're angry. When you're angry. Do you know why it says? Because you're more prone to sin when you are angry. Not so? You're more prone to do it when you are angry. Now it says, for example, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't go to bed angry. Deal with the anger. Fighting with your wife. Don't sleep with your backs facing toward each other. Um, resolve the issue and make amends. Not so. And then it's amazing how the next verse is directly straight after that anger potential sin scenario says, do not give the devil place. 
What does it imply? That anger which leads to sin gives the devil opportunity. So don't give him a window of opportunity. It says, do not give the devil an opportunity. The New King James says, not give place to the devil. And then, now verse 28 tells you how to deal with it. So, but Paul uses in verse 28 another set, different scenario, a different set of potential problems to sin. It says like theft. He who steals must steal no more, but rather must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who is in need. So listen carefully what Paul is saying. If you steal, you are sinning. And if you sin, you're giving the, the enemy opportunity or place. To, to obviate that, what you must do, get a job, he says, labor with your hands, and instead of taking, start sharing, start giving. In other words, deal with your potential theft problem. Read it carefully. He's saying, you want to take on a take on a steal. Watch. See, you've got a problem because when you steal what's not yours, what are you going to do? Giving place to the enemies. In other words, he says, get a job now, get some money, and work in the opposite direction to the problem that you have present to take. Learn now to share and give. So he's saying, run away from your weakness. But don't just run away from your weakness. Because you're going to have a vacuum. Fill the vacuum with the right thing to do. So he says in Galatians terms, it's, this is now sowing to the Spirit. Right? You're not sowing to the flesh, you're sowing to the Spirit. So what did he say to Timothy? Flee youthful lusts, but... Don't just flee and stop. Follow something. Because if you stop something, it's a vacuum. So fill the vacuum with the right thing to do. Do you understand? So tell your neighbor, give the enemy no place. Let me just say this. The neutral person has given the enemy place. Not because you are not... How do I say this? Not because you are not sinning doesn't mean that you are not giving the enemy place. You could be giving the enemy place even though you are not sinning. The imperative here is don't do that, but fill the vacuum with the right, with good positive things to do. By that way you ensure the enemy got nothing in me, you don't have a chance here. So if I have a thieving problem, a theft problem Paul is using here, he's saying, let him that steals, steal no more, but rather what he must do. Work with his own hands, get remuneration, and he must learn to give. Give. I, I, I don't really lay that out in your notes the way I'm explaining it. Maybe I must update the notes. But listen carefully. This is so serious. Um, if you have a potential problem, and you can check this out in reference to whatever problem you have in, in your personal weakness. I would say, if you have a problem in any specific area, first thing, deal with it, run away from it, stop it. But don't just stop it and do nothing. Fill that vacuum with the opposite thing to do that is commendable in God's sight. Right? In the, in the, in the instruction here, the thief must learn to give. What, what, is he, what is he training his soul to do? Right? 
instead of taking, I will become the biggest giver ever. In my past life, I stole. Now I'm the biggest giver ever. To demonstrate how I've overcome in that area. Right? So tell you, demonstrate how you've overcome. Now, for example, if you're full of bitterness, unforgiveness, you don't tell me, hey, Randolph, thank you for the study. I've overcome my bitterness. I've run away. I said, oh, praise God, right? Just fine. That's number one. Number two, now what are you doing sort of in an overt, conscious manner to fill that vacuum in your life? Right? Then you must demonstrate to me how you're loving, how you're forgiving by your practical things enlisted in 1 Corinthians 13, what love is. Amen? So you didn't honor your leadership before, but now you, you were convicted, and so you fill that wrongness with the rightness, the right thing to do, by, by consciously expressing deeds of honor. And you can apply this to a host of, of, of circumstances. But listen carefully. The Greek word for place or opportunity, the New American Bible uses opportunity. King James uses place. I like the word place. Topos. Everyone say topos. Do not give the enemy topos. Literally means, uh, you can see it here, a post, a locality. These words are like hectic. Eh? And listen to this meaning, an occasion for acting. So don't give the enemy an occasion for acting in your life. Right? You're blocking all doors. You're saying like Jesus, the enemy has come. you got nothing that's akin to him in me. Free from all of this stuff. Right? So, it says further, I like this license. Sometimes we're fighting in our prayers, the enemy. He's just laughing and saying, pray all you want to, fast all you want to. I got the license. And he's waving it almost mockingly. I can do what I want to because of that mentality, that hold, that has that echo, that position in your mind that you're still maintaining, even though you know the truth. He says, I have occasion to act. I have license to act. So, and then further it says, the word topos, room. Hmm. Room is room. Serve an eviction notice on, your, on the enemy. Say, no accommodation. There's no room at this inn. Right? Drive him out. Expel him. Say, maybe I've entertained some mindsets that was akin to you, but no more. Out of here. No topos here, an opportunity or condition. Check out the Amplified Bible frames. Leave no such room or foothold. Everyone say foothold. Foothold, um, I think Zodiac also translates topos as foothold. I haven't put it in there. It's a nice meaning to topos, foothold. Uh, the CEV, don't give the devil a chance. I like this. Plain and simple, don't even give him a chance. Not even... Open the door a little bit. I checked up the term foothold. It's general meaning. It's not Greek and Hebrew. This is what we, whenever we use the term foothold. You know foothold? Uh, who has done tug of war? Okay, we had tug of war recently at the church camp. Guess what? Uh, sometimes a team will lose because they don't have a foothold. Literally, a foothold is a powerful position in the the standpoint or the standing position that gives you leverage over the other. 
So it's saying, don't give the enemy leverage. The term foothold in general refers to a secure position, listen carefully, underline this, from which further progress could be made. When you have a good foothold, even when you're climbing a mountain, they always say, you go to the next level in mountaineering, make sure that as you launch, you have a good foothold. A foothold, the term is always used as a secure, everyone say secure, as a secure position from which further advance or further progress could be, could be made. Right? We often use the term like, he has a good foothold in life. In other words, he's just secured something, and you can see that securement of that position is going to be the platform from which a host of other advancements are going to be made. Now, the Bible says, don't give the enemy that kind of advantage in your life. Don't provide him something from which he can advance further aspects of his work. Right? Give him no opportunity. Now, just, okay, we'll close with this. Let's look at, now, I've just quoted to you Ephesians 26, 27, and 28. Let's read the whole verse, the whole chapter from verse 17, and see the context in which Paul put these verses. Right? Verse 17. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. Now please underline this. Excluded from the zoe of God. Life is zoe. I don't know about you, I don't want to be excluded from the, the zoe life of God. So in our previous life, we were darkened in our understanding, excluded from the life of God. Why? Because of darkness or ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they have been become callous, have given themselves over, underlined, to sensuality, sensualness, to practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But, and I like this but, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Let me just say this. Now please just tell you, tell you learn Christ. Come on, say again. Christ must be learned. And that's a separate, lovely study. One of you must do a study on this. Look up the Greek for learn and see what it implies. You've got to learn Christ. Part of your assimilation of all that Christ is, literally, please look at me. Everyone say this is the last frontier. You know, I think we can deal with the devil in some respects. In some respects, we can deal with the world system. When it comes to the flesh, it's our personal fight, as it were. And when we overcome this, we're gonna, we learn Christ. You can't learn Christ having accommodating all of these things. These acts of carnality serve as the greatest prohibition, impediment, obstacle to learning Christ. Paul says, you did that in ignorance, been darkened in your understanding, became hardness, or the hard heart, alienated, excluded from the life of God. That's fine. We did not learn Christ in this way according to that pursuit. If indeed you have heard him, and yet you've been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your, like this, your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted according to the lust of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a powerful, powerful phrase. 
We'll talk about it maybe next week. Just in brackets, just for now, just put attitude of the mind. Be renewed in the spirit or the attitude of your mind. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and in holiness of the truth. Therefore, what does therefore mean? In the light of every verse I've just quoted to you. Therefore, lay aside what? Falsehood. That's speaking of lies. Speak the truth, one, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who is in or has need. Let, here's some other aspects. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Unwholesome is putrefied, defiled, bad. Right? It's like almost like uh, garbage, bad smelling stuff. Unwholesome word protrude from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace. I said grace is always imparted by word, remember? So just if you camp at verse 29, do you know that your conversation can give topos, place, occasion? to the enemy to advance his further work in your life. So stop the gossip. Stop maligning people's character. Speak only if at the end of your conversation you can't say grace was imparted. Guess what? You've given the enemy a platform from which to advance other work. Okay? Next time you're tempted to, to scandal, even if you're talking and your heart is not sort of to scandal, but don't even mention something unnecessary, unsavory about the brother, a sister, or a context. Right? So next time you, you, you're in discussion, let me just use Rita. Rita, just say, sorry, we're not giving topos to the enemy. We won't give a foothold for the enemy to advance further work here. Because we've entertained we've opened the windows, we don't give him an opportunity, we close the door, don't give him a chance. Can you see how subtle we give opportunity? In terms, just an analysis of Ephesians 4 will tell you how subtle the enemy. And then we wonder why are things going wrong in our lives. But you're opening the door wide open, giving opportunity left, right, and center. And you wonder, why can't I obey? The mind, it says in Romans 8, the mindset on the flesh is what? Enmity with God. It's hostile towards God. It cannot... Submit itself to the law of God, it says. Right? And we wonder why obedience is so difficult. Right? When we've given the enemy empowerment to cause us not to obey. Then it says, I like this how it ends, to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because he works in our spirits. Eh? To not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's another one in verse 31. Let all bitterness... Please, these are all expressions of carnality to me. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Slander is uh, malice. You're maligning somebody else's good character. Be put away from you along with all malice. Have you ever met a malicious person? The person is so full of 
anger, bitterness, frustration. All they can ever talk is, is pulling down the next person. I'm telling you, stay away from that rabble. That's a mixed multitude right there. Right? That's going to cause leanness to your soul. Right? But, and here is what you should do. So he's saying, run away, but don't leave it. The vacuum, fill the vacuum with what? Fill the vacuum with be kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another or each other, as God in Christ has also forgiven you. When you think of kindness, tender heart, forgiving, what you think of love, eh? Pursue the love path and you're going to close the door on every satanic opportunity that he thinks, or by which he thinks he will gain a foothold in your life. Amen? So tell you never no topos to the devil. No place, no opportunity. And like you said, please, I would encourage all of us this evening, reread Ephesians 4 before you sleep. And let me see your hands. Who's going to do this? I keep giving you homework. I'm a teacher. I want to see hands now. Okay. Reread Ephesians 4 before you sleep. And just do an audit on your life. Say, God, is there any bitterness? Any sensuality? Is there any stealing? Is there any untruth? Any lies? Any malice? Any, any slander? What, what potential opportunity have I giving? But I want us all to come to the place. Imagine you stand on, and Jesus said this publicly. Prince of this world is coming. And he has absolutely no echo in me. No echo in me, and don't give him no topos. Two Greek words you must learn. No echo, no topos. Nothing. And the enemy definitely then will not have a, a legal license to torment, to frustrate divine purpose within your life. And you'll find something developing in your life. It's called the prosperity of my soul. Everyone say the prosperity of my soul. Third John. I wish Gaius, Third John was written to a guy called Gaius. To Gaius. So Paul writes to him. I wish above all things that you prosper. That you be in good health. There's even benefits here of good health. That you be in good health. Even as your soul prospers. I am convinced most diseases, even ill health, largely is, uh, what's the term? Psychosomatic, is it? Psychosomatic diseases are diseases that could be attributed, attributed actual physical diseases or like, even like the common flu could result from a mental state. <laughs> now, please, I know many, <laughs> many people got the flu tonight. This is, this is no reference to Jules. <laughs> I'm just saying it's, um, it's proven that people racked by bitterness, unforgiveness, malice, Constant evil speaking are more prone to, susceptible to illness, right? And you'll see this, okay? So please, we, the Bible says, thy word is health to all my flesh. So, you know what? I really believe it's so health, the word, and it's subscription there to obedience to the word. It's so much health to my flesh. As obedience heightens, love will heighten. Say it again, as obedience heightens... Because by obedience you purify the soul. Love will heighten. And the flesh is going to press to zoeness. God quality of life. Dr. Segi is convinced. He said it last week. We, this life is above viral life. Above bacterial life. You will live. Um, we will break sickness and disease. 
we are pressing towards that. And ultimately, the last enemy, death, will be swallowed up and immortality will be our experience. Can you see? So don't only see the study in the light of what we've See where this thing is? Headed towards. That's the ultimate end to which we press towards. Amen? So that is our inheritance in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Fill our hearts with your divine love. Through great, exceeding, precious promises, we have become partakers of the divine nature. I pray, O oh God, that your love will be so, so powerfully and forcefully developed in our lives. Every occasion and opportunity we ever encounter, may it be one whereby we can demonstrate all who you are and put your love on display for the world to see. By this will men know that you are my disciples when you love one another. That we want to do that, God. We want to be the greatest witness. And may our sense of our evangelistic strength be because we love one another. And this educates the world about our identity in you. I ask also, God, that we too, like your son, can have boldness to say, the prince of this world has come, but he has got no place in me, no echo. I thank you, O oh God, that there'll be nothing akin to anything satanic in us. That we would give the enemy no place, no topos, no foothold, no platform to secure his work and advance his work in other areas in our lives. Thank you, O oh God, that we can serve notice of eviction upon the enemy tonight as we subscribe obediently to your word. I thank you that this house, our soul, will prosper. I, pre- I speak and prophesy the prosperity of the soul of all of our sons, even those who are not here this evening. May they prosper and be in good health, even as their soul progressively is renewed and prospers. I thank you we're going to know prosperity at so many different levels. So I commend your people to your grace, to the word of your grace that is able to build them up and to give them an inheritance amongst all the saints that are sanctified in Jesus' name. Amen.